So good to share God's Word with you this morning. We have a little bit to cover today, but before we do, let us ask the Lord to bless our time in His Word. Lord, we come to you this morning just, Lord willing, hungry for truth and hungry for the truth that gives new life, truth that gives us tremendous guardrails for life and blessing and a life that is pleasing and desirable and a life that is 100% satisfying. Lord, thank you for the work of grace personally in my life and thank you for the work of grace in the lives of many others. Lord, let us never forget the powerful message of the cross and how that impacts our life, not just at the beginning of salvation, but Lord, how it impacts our life each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you would open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. We're going to continue our study through the book of Galatians. If you're joining with us on campus and you do not have a copy of God's Word, I would encourage you to look underneath the seat in front of you or underneath the seat that you're sitting in. There should be a blue Bible there. I would encourage you to take that Bible, open up to page 1074. 1074. That's where we'll be uh, this morning. Think about the great message of God's amazing grace. Grace, the undeserved, unmerited, unconditional favor and love of God. That is a beautiful truth that we are living in as followers of Christ today. The very fact that because of God's grace, we are set free in Christ. This is the greatest blessing of living today and each and every day with the assurance that I am free. Free from the penalty of sin. Free from the power of sin and one glorious day, free from the very presence of sin. All of this is a work of God's amazing grace. And it's the gospel of grace that is not only being attacked today, but it was very much being attacked under uh, the time frame of the Apostle Paul's life. Remember, the Apostle Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia. This would have been... Uh, right after his first missionary journey to the churches of Galatia and he shares the gospel of God's grace uh, lives are changed people are people are saved lives are changed churches are planted and then all of a sudden uh, false teachers go in and and it, they try to first and foremost undercut the messenger because if you can undercut the messenger being Paul then you can begin to attack the very message that he is teaching and the key is it's not it's not a 100% denial of the gospel, right? They, they were teaching, yes, you need Jesus. But it wasn't just Jesus. You needed works. Primarily, you needed to obey uh, the, the law of Moses, if you will. And not just that, over all the centuries, over all the generations, not just the law of Moses, but man's expectations, man's law, and just the weight of all that. And Paul says, I've been set free from that. And so he's very much ingrained in this beautiful uh, message of God's grace. And just as a reminder from last week, because that helps build into uh, the verses today, uh, in verses 11 and 12 from last week, he reminds us that the gospel of grace comes from God, not from man. He says in verse 11, he says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. It was on that Damascus road when Paul had a face-to-face -face encounter with the risen Savior. And the reality is you and I wouldn't come up with the gospel of grace. Why? Because we're, it's ingrained in us at birth, performance, works. Work hard, do this, do that. 
and, and your ability to obtain success is based on you. And so there's so much weight that happens in our lives. And, and I think about students and I think about young people. And, and when that gets ingrained in their mind, how, it doesn't stop when you become an adult. We know, right? We look around and we compare ourselves to other people and just the constant weight of failure, right? Got to do something more. Got to do something better. And Paul is reminding us that the gospel of grace comes from God. Not only that, verses 13 and 14, Paul reminds us that the gospel of grace is man's greatest need. God knows our greatest need, and he knows it's the gospel of his grace. And so Paul says in verse 13, For you have heard of my formal life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. So Paul was zealous. He was uh, passionate about so many things, specifically religious activity. And yet, because religious activity wasn't um, given to him by the gospel of grace, it was, it was what I can do. And so that religious activity led to pride, but not just pride, just complete hatred. He's attacking the very church that Jesus died for. And it's a reminder to us that we can get involved in a lot of different things. And we can get, waste our time, if you will, doing so many things apart from Christ, and yet miss Jesus in the process. And God says, I give you the gospel of grace in my son, the finished work of Jesus Christ, because I know what your greatest need is. Your greatest need is found in me. You want approval? I give you approval. You want pleasure? I have given you the ultimate pleasure of being right with God. And not only that, we're reminded that the gospel of grace is God's work, not ours. In other words, Paul's former life your former life, my former life, that is not the end of the story. God and his grace is still writing something amazing. And that's why he says, beginning in uh, verse 15, he says, but when he who, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Again, on the road to Damascus, on his way to persecute the church, not just the church, but persecute Jesus Christ himself, right? His hatred was against what Jesus stood for. And it's on that road that Jesus has this amazing encounter with Paul and Paul realizes his need for God's amazing grace. And it's on that road to Damascus. His former life was changed. He was given a new life forever changed because of Christ. And beginning in our verses today, picking up where we left off in verse 16 through 24, uh, we begin to see what that impact of God's grace does in our life. And we're going to look specifically at Paul's life, but see how it applies to our life today. So let's read beginning in verse 16, where we left off all the way through verse 24. The scripture says that this work of God's grace, right? This grace that comes from God, this, this grace that meets my greatest need, this, this grace that uh, is his work, not mine, was for what reason, Paul says? Paul says, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He says, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem to visit uh, Cephas, that would be uh, Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I did not lie. I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea, 
that are in Christ, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Through our verses this morning, we're going to see three incredible impacts that the gospel has in our life, and we see this in the life of Paul. The first one is this, by God's grace, my new life has a renewed purpose. By God's grace, my new life has a renewed purpose. Listen, all of us have a former life. If you're in Christ, you have a former life. But at the moment of salvation, God begins an amazing process of showing us that renewed purpose that he has for us. We have new life in Christ. And look at the, the power of that purpose statement that is found in verse 16. He says, in order that, so this is the purpose statement, right? In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now feel the weight of this for just a second. This is exactly where Paul is going and to persecute the church, he is going to destroy who? The Gentiles, right? Paul grew up Jewish. His ancestry, Jewish. His, his pursuit, Jewish religion, Jewish heritage, Jewish ancestry, Jewish knowledge, all these different things. Dedicated his entire life to that. Had tremendous hatred towards the church and specifically to Jesus Christ himself. And yet, that renewed purpose is to do what? To go to the very people you once hated. To the very people you once wanted to destroy. What an incredible work of God's grace. The persecutor becomes the preacher and the terrorizer becomes the teacher. And only God can do this, right? Now we may think, you know, you know I never murdered anybody. You know, I'm not, I'm not as bad as Paul. Well, that's the key. So often in life, we look at behavioral things, right? Like we compare behavioral things that we do with other people and we say, what? well, we're not that bad. That's, that's the fruit of a greater issue, right? The greater issue is not the fruit of your behavior. The greatest issue is the root of why you do what you do. And we are reminded in scripture that every single one of us, at the moment of birth, physical birth, the second we come out of the womb, right? We are born with what? We are born with a sin nature. And it's because that nature is there, it's why we do what we do. Now, we choose to do certain things. To certain levels, but at the end of the day, we have one direction in our life at physical birth. That is rebellion against God and to do things in our own strength, in our own way. And so we have to be careful that the, the greatest issue isn't the behavioral things of what we do. It's, it's why we do them. And Paul reminds us that, that it's the spiritual birth that matters the most. Because at spiritual birth, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we receive a new nature. And how is this done? He says in Ephesians 2, he says, for by grace, so there's that word grace again, for by grace you have been saved, how? Through faith. That's, that's how we receive it, through faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. So this is a gift that God gives to us in Christ, not a result of work so that no one may boast. But notice that Paul doesn't stop there. What does he say? He says, for we are who? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, God not only works a work of grace in you, but at the moment of salvation, he's going to begin to work a work of grace through you, right? That renewed purpose in Christ, you are a new creation. You have a new identity and it's out of that new identity, that new uh, nature that you and I begin to live with renewed purpose in life. The scripture says that we are literally God's 
workmanship, his work of art. Sometimes we say poem because that's where the Greek word comes from, but don't, don't, don't be limited to that. Any work of art, right? It's God's miraculous work of art that he does. Speaking of that, uh, Michelangelo once was asked what he was doing as he chipped away a shapeless piece of rock. And this is what he said. He said, I am liberating an angel from this stone. Now think about it in a far greater way. When God looks at your life and my life, he says, I am liberating my son or daughter from death to life. And he or she is my miraculous work of art. Praise be to God for that. And here's what's awesome. God's renewed purpose for my life has tremendous power, gospel power, the power that is found in the gospel of grace. That means I no longer have to try to do this on my own, but that renewed purpose is found only in him. And it's not for me, it's for him. And yet that renewed purpose is to do what? To go to the very people you once hated, to the very people you once wanted to destroy. What an incredible work of God's grace. The persecutor becomes the preacher and the terrorizer becomes the teacher. And only God can do this, right? Now, we may think, you know, you know I never murdered anybody. You know, I'm not, I'm not as bad as Paul. Well, that's the key. So often in life, we look at behavioral things, right? Like we compare behavioral things that we do with other people and we say, what? well, we're not that bad. That's, that's the fruit of a greater issue, Right? The greater issue is not the fruit of your behavior. The greatest issue is the root of why you do what you do. And we are reminded in scripture that every single one of us, at the moment of birth, physical birth, the second we come out of the womb, right? We are born with what? We are born with a sin nature. And it's because that nature is there, it's why we do what we do. Now we choose to do certain things to certain levels, but at the end of the day, we have one direction in our life at physical birth, that is rebellion against God and to do things in our own strength and our own way. And so we have to be careful that the, the greatest issue isn't the behavioral things of what we do, it's, it's why we do them. And Paul reminds us that, that it's the spiritual birth that matters the most. Because at spiritual birth, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we receive a new nature. And how is this done? He says in Ephesians 2, he says, for by grace, so there's that word grace again. For by grace you have been saved, how? Through faith, that's, that's how we receive it, through faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. So this is a gift that God gives to us in Christ, not a result of work so that no one may boast. But notice that Paul doesn't stop there. What does he say? He says, for we are who? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, God not only works a work of grace in you, but at the moment of salvation, he's going to begin to work a work of grace through you, right? That renewed purpose in Christ, you are a new creation. You have a new identity and it's out of that new identity, that new uh, nature that you and I begin to live with renewed purpose in life. The scripture says that we are literally God's workmanship, his work of art. Sometimes we say poem because that's where the Greek word comes from, but don't, don't, don't be limited to that. Any work of art, right? It's God's miraculous work of art that he does. Speaking of that, uh, Michelangelo once was asked what he was doing as he chipped away a shapeless piece of rock. And this is what he said. He said, I am liberating an angel from this stone. Now think about it in a far greater way. When God looks at your life and my life, he says, I am liberating my son or daughter from death to life, and he or she is my miraculous work 
of art. Praise be to God for that. And here's what's awesome. God's renewed purpose for my life has tremendous power, gospel power, the power that is found in the gospel of grace. That means I no longer have to try to do this on my own, but that renewed purpose is found only in him. And it's not for me, it's for him. First Peter says it like, or Peter says it like this in First Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is our identity, right? But it's out of that identity that something happens. This is the purpose statement. That you may what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. So that miraculous work of art that God is doing in your life and through your life is to do what? To proclaim the excellencies of Christ himself. But it starts with what? It starts with identity. It starts with your new life in Christ. Listen, you will never have renewed purpose in life unless first and foremost, you have Christ as your savior. By God's grace, my new life has renewed purpose. Do you feel like, do you believe that your life today has renewed purpose in Christ? And I, I almost said, do you feel? Because the reality is sometimes we don't feel that way, right? But the truth is you have in Christ renewed purpose in this life. Think about uh, what's happening in our world today. So many people lack purpose. Why? Because they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But think about those who have been set free by the gospel of grace to live each and every day with renewed purpose. Not only that, the second thing that we see here is by God's grace, God prepares me for that purpose. God prepares me for that purpose. We see this beginning in Galatians 1, uh, at the end of verse 16, all the way through 21. Paul says, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Again, Paul is reinforcing the fact that the gospel of God's grace was not given to him by any man. It was given to who? It was given to him by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away uh, into Arabia and returned into, again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit uh, Cephas, that's Peter, and um, remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except for James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. In other words, God is my witness that this message of God's grace came to me through Jesus Christ, not through anyone else. And then it says, I went into regions of Syria and Sicilia. Let's think about this for just a moment. How do we wrap our heads around all these? I thought I'm a visual person, so I like to see certain things. So I have a map. So we're just going to walk through this map real quick. All right. Hopefully we can see it pretty well. Just keep that map up uh, until we get to the Hebrews 13 passage. So Paul starts he meets Jesus where? On the road to Damascus. And you'll notice uh, on your right side, right there in the middle, you see Palestine, right above Palestine. You see a little dot there that says Damascus. So somewhere between Jerusalem to Damascus, Jesus, uh, Jesus reveals himself to Paul. Right? And we know that right after Paul was saved by God's amazing grace, he went to Damascus for a short period of time. After that, the scripture tells us that he went from Damascus to uh, the desert of Arabia. You'll see the, uh, the gray area there on the very bottom of the map. That's a place called uh, Nabatea. That would be uh, the, the desert that he went to. We don't know exactly where he went, but he went. Now, he was there for, for a little bit of time. Instead of going to Jerusalem, that's where he goes. Now, think about desert for just a minute. Desert is a barren place, right? Probably not a whole lot of people there. And that's where Jesus gives further revelation to the message of the gospel to Paul. That's what Jesus promised him on the road to Damascus. I'm going to give you further revelation of what the gospel of grace means and, and how you connect the dots from the Old Testament to the life of Jesus. 
In other words, everything about the Old Testament is fulfilled where? In the life of Jesus. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Now think about Paul for just a moment. Paul spent his entire life thinking something totally different. Now all of a sudden, he comes to faith in Christ. The gospel of grace begins a time of preparation. Why? Because he's getting, he's getting sent out where? To the Gentiles, right? So I need renewed thinking. That's what's happening here. The same is true for us today. That so much of our old life needs to be renewed in thinking with what? The message of God's gospel. And it's not just one time. It's all through life. That's why Paul says in Romans 12 too that, that and we are not to be conformed to the world but to be transformed by what? The renewal of our mind. And so that's what's happening here. Paul is getting a renewed mind. How is it that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament? Because I need to understand, Paul says, Jesus is saying, you need to understand how the gospel of God's grace works. Because when you go to the Gentiles, one of the great tensions is what? Jesus plus something else. And you're going to go and you're going to be reminded and you're going to live and experience in the very fact that it's God's grace and that is it. So this renewal of mind, and this is a reminder to us that some of our greatest time in being prepared for what God has called us to is time alone with him. Listen, Sunday morning won't do it all. Your life group time won't do it all. It's your one-on-one -on -one time with the Lord where God gives you such a great sensitivity to how he is preparing you to what it is that you're being called to. So God is preparing him just like he's preparing us. And then after Arabia, he returns to Damascus. So he goes back uh, to Damascus. Now, there he's sharing the message of God's grace, God's amazing grace. And uh, it's really uh, the response is uh, one of two ways. One, some were amazed. They thought it was awesome. And then others were angry. They wanted to kill Paul, right? Primarily the Jewish leaders. They wanted to kill Paul. And so uh, they, have a, they have this um, idea that they're going to kill Paul. And word goes out and uh, the, the followers of Christ, they protect Paul and they, they um, basically rescue him out of that. And so out of that time, uh, Paul goes to uh, Jerusalem. And it's a reminder to us that when we are living in that new purpose that God has given to us, uh, it's not going to be easy. And guess what? Not, not everyone's going to like it. Not everyone's going to accept that new life that we have in Christ. So after that, Paul goes from Damascus and he goes to Jerusalem. Now think about the weight of Jerusalem. It's the same place where Jesus, just not too long ago, was crucified on a cross, right? One week, they're crying out, Hosanna, 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 God save us. The next week, they're saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. It's there in Jerusalem where Paul's great hatred for the church was being born and being cultivated. And it's from Jerusalem that he was sent to Damascus to persecute the very church that Jesus died for. But it says that he's there and for roughly two weeks, he meets with Peter and briefly met with James. And that's significant because Peter and James, they were really uh, the leaders there in the church in Jerusalem. So their primary ministry was to uh, those of Jewish descent. Paul's primary ministry was to those of Gentile descent. And it's a reminder to us that that our call may look different, right? Oftentimes it looks totally different. But God is preparing us to do what? To work together for his kingdom, not ours. So he's preparing us for that calling together. Then it says that after Jerusalem, he travels to Syria, uh, probably Antioch more than likely. It's uh, towards the upper right-hand corner there. 
And then it also says that he went uh, to Cilicia, which would be uh, in the Turk. You'll see Cilicia kind of in the middle top. And you'll see a place called Tarshish there. Uh, I actually lived in Tarshish. It's called Adana now. And that's where Paul was born. That's where he kind of grew up. Now think about that for just a moment. Paul had to go back to his hometown, right? It's a reminder to us that with that renewed purpose and God's preparation for that re renewed purpose, there are times where we have to do what? We have to address the things from our former life. And so here's Paul. He's going back to his hometown. People that only knew him for who he used to be. And now he has an opportunity to share with them who he now is. What a praise to God. So sometimes we have to address things from the past. But here's the point. Every step away, every step of the way, God is with him. God is preparing him. It's a reminder to us that nothing, nothing, nothing is wasted, right? Nothing from your formal life is wasted. Nothing in your new life is wasted. God is orchestrating all those things to prepare you for that renewed purpose. Hebrews 13 says it like this. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, do what in verse 21? Equip you with everything good that you may do what? His will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What an amazing truth. That God is equipping us every day, preparing us every day for whatever that new renewed purpose is in life. And first and foremost, our renewed purpose is to do what? To, to honor him. Honor him. That's key. In fact, Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 4. He says, as each has received a gift, right? All of us, because we are followers of Christ, at the moment of salvation, we have been given some type of gift or multiple gifts, and we are to use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So our, our role is to do what? To manage it, to, to employ it to those around us. He says in verse 11, whoever speaks is one who speaks, oracles of God, whoever serves is one who serves by, by what? The strength that God supplies. So the enablement of that gift in order to manage it and to... Uh, employ it to others, to, to serve others, and whatever that gift is, it comes from who? It, that strength comes from him. It does not come from us. The reality is that no matter what God has called you to, he will supply everything that is necessary to fulfill that. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 9. He says, and God is able, listen to all the alls here, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, the immediate context is, is how uh, the, the church was being extremely generous with their giving. They went beyond their means. Now, the reality is that it's not just about giving of money. It's giving your life to whatever that calling is. And be reminded that God is not calling you to do everything. He's calling you to go all in on the very thing that he has called you specifically to do. And so that's important. Sometimes we get all mixed up and what it, I got to do everything. No, God, again, we're part of a team. We're part of the body of Christ. Do be faithful for what God has given to you specifically. God will never call you to be a giver to something that he himself will not supply what is needed. That is important. When you give yourself to the work of God, he'll give you everything that you need to complete that work. Why? Because he is able. Think about Moses for just a minute. I love studying Moses. Moses is the one that uh, God uses to deliver 
God's people out of the hands of uh, Pharaoh, Egyptian, uh, the Egyptian army, Pharaoh. And remember how God uh, spoke to Moses. God spoke to Moses uh, through a burning bush, a bush that was on fire but never consumed, right? That's pretty amazing. God speaks to him through the burning bush and he says, he says something amazing in verse 10 of Exodus 3. He says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is an amazing calling. Uh, estimates say that God's people at this time would have been somewhere between a million to two million people. This is a lot of people. And God, through a burning bush, says, Moses, you're going to be the one that's going to deliver my people through the hands of Pharaoh. Now, this sounds pretty awesome, right? This sounds like a great opportunity. But at the very moment that God speaks to Moses, what do you think is happening in Moses' mind and heart? I mean, think about Moses for just a moment. He's 80 years old. He's ready to retire. Nah, somebody, I've already done my time. Somebody else can do it, right? Uh, Moses was already on the run for a period of time. He, he murdered somebody, and it was Pharaoh who said, I, I'm going to get you, Moses. And Moses is, was in hiding for a good period of time. And, and so Moses is like, I can't go back. Not only that, uh, Moses works for his father-in-law, good old Jethro, right? I mean, and then he's a shepherd, right? It's almost like he's saying, I'm a lover, not a fighter. I can't do that anymore, right? All these different things begin to come up, right? And what's amazing about that preparation that God is equipping us for and calling us to, it's not so much about the work. It's about a deeper dependency on him. Think about Moses' life for just a moment. This amazing calling that God puts before him. And obstacle after obstacle after obstacle is just unleashed from Moses' heart. And think about the obstacles that come in. And maybe this is resonating with you today. He has the obstacle of, I'm nobody, Exodus 3.11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? I'm nobody, God. I can't, there's no way. What about this obstacle? I don't know enough. Exodus 3.13, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? I don't know what to say. What about the obstacle of I might fail? Not I will fail, but I might, right? That, that gets us every time. The, the, the what ifs of life. Exodus 4.1, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. What if I fail in that delivery to them? What about the obstacle of I'm inadequate? Exodus 4.10, but Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. God, I'm not a good speaker. I can't do this. Another obstacle. I'm not the right one. Send someone else, right? Exodus 4.13. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Think about your calling today. As a mom or a dad, person in the workforce, person living a Christ-like life and, and wherever you live, do you, do you see those obstacles creeping into your heart and mind? Every obstacle. But here's the beauty. What, what does God do with every obstacle that comes to our mind and in our heart? He meets it with grace. Grace, you may feel you are nobody, but I am with you. Exodus three twelve. 
He said, but I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve, that is, you shall worship God on this mountain. Grace, you may feel you don't know enough, but I, God, I know everything. Exodus 3, 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. What about grace and I might fail? You might fail, but he won't. What about grace? You may feel inadequate, but guess what? God is not inadequate. Exodus 4, 11 and 12. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Man, what amazing grace that is given. What about the grace that you may feel, not, feel like you're not the right person, but God says you are. Listen to this in Exodus 4. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you both what to do. You see what's happening here. God says, I will teach both of you what to do. Yeah, Aaron is more gifted in the speech. But I'm not just looking for people who are gifted. I'm looking for people who are available to be used by me. And I will be the very mouthpiece that you need. And so that is the beautiful truth that we see here. And the, the, the point is what? That this call of deliverance wasn't just on the shoulders of Moses. It ultimately was on God and God working in multiple people to deliver God's people from the hands of Pharaoh. In other words, when you feel like you're nobody, when you don't know enough, when you might fail, when you feel inadequate, when you don't think you're the right one for the call, send someone else. God is going to meet you with his grace. I am with you. I know everything. I won't fail. I am adequate. And I think you are the one to do what I've called you to do. See, like Moses, as you follow the Lord by faith, you will accomplish what he has set out for you to do. And here's the beauty of it. There are no small tasks in the kingdom of God. So every work that God has called you to do, it may not be the moment of delivering two million people from the hands of Pharaoh. But guess what? Because it's about the kingdom of God, the eternal work of God's kingdom, every small task matters to the Lord. And God is preparing you for that. So where are you, are, where are you today? Where are you uh, hearing the obstacles and living in the obstacles? Be honest with God. God, through his grace, is preparing you for that renewed purpose. Lastly, by God's grace, my new life is lived for his glory. I love these last few verses in Galatians 1. Paul says in Galatians 1, beginning in verse 22, he says, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So Paul's life is changed, and guess what? Word goes out like wildfire, right? But did you notice what it said? That there, there were people who heard about God's miraculous work in me and through me, but they have never met me face to face. 
In fact, I can be walking down the same street as them and they will not recognize me at all. Let that resonate with our hearts today. We live in a very social media age where everybody wants to build a brand for themselves, right? Listen, let us not lose sight of God's amazing grace in our life in the midst of trying to build a brand for yourself. Praise God for the faithful, the faithful people who are behind the scenes, the unknown by facial recognition, and only known by word of mouth, God's miraculous work of grace in their life. Why is that so? Why is that so important? Peter tells us the reason in 1 Peter 4. He says that in order that in everything, God may be glorified, not through you, but through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen, learn to live content. Learn to live content that your, your greatest approval is already found in him. The very glory that you will receive is already found in him. Don't live your life trying to make yourself known. Live your life knowing who you already are in Christ and make him known. That's why Peter says in 2 Peter 1, his divine power, not my human effort, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. This means that God has a call on your life as a follower of Christ and he will prepare you. And that calling, that preparedness that he's doing in your life, nothing going to waste. He's going to give you strength, power, discernment, and whatever that calling is, he's doing it in such a way that not only will you do the work that God has called you to do, but you will do it in a way that what? Doesn't honor you, but honors him. And we need divine strength to do just that. The great missional call to every Christian is found in Matthew 5, Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, whatever that calling is, let your light shine for Jesus Christ. Paul says in Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So it's not so much what you do, it's why you do it. And when your motives are right, whatever that calling is, even when it's hard, even when it's not well received, you're going to give thanks. Why? Because God is doing what only he can do. And you sit in amazement that God chooses to use you and chooses to use me for his good work and for his glory. Let us pray. Lord, we are so thankful for this morning. Thank you for the fact that in Christ we have renewed purpose. Well, we're so thankful that in Christ that you are preparing us for that new purpose. And Lord, in Christ, Lord, that new purpose, whatever it is that you're preparing us for, is for your glory and honor and not ours. Lord, there is tremendous freedom in the life of a Christ follower when we live life in whatever that is that we're doing for your glory and not our own. Lord, you are worthy of praise and honor. I pray that as we settle this morning under your word, 
Lord, that you would lift up our spirits and remind us that we have renewed purpose in you, that our former life has been done away with in Christ. And Lord, you will use everything, everything that we've walked through in our past, everything that we're walking through today, everything that we may walk through tomorrow. You're using all those things as moments and opportunities of preparing us for the next step and the calling that you've put on our lives, a calling that is both holy and a calling that is purposeful for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.